if you've met Kathy Jeanette, uh, she, one of our members, you know that she is the baker for Perk, which is a small cafe and coffee house in the heart of Bonaire. Every so often, Kathy has blessed our staff during the week with some of her delicious creations. And she, uh, if you're at Perk and you get any of the baked goods, she is the one behind all of that. And I talked to her this week to ask her a few questions about baking, because I'm certainly not a baker. I mean, I can pull out a, a box of brownie mix and I can stumble through it, but I wanted to talk to a professional. And she was more than happy to share some of her secrets with me. The slides that you see on the screen are from her. She, uh, I asked her if she would send me some uh, photos of bread that she had baked, and she was glad to do that. So you'll probably be more hungry to go to lunch after church than when you uh, came into the room today. But I didn't know the nature of yeast. I mean, I, I knew but I really didn't know. And she helped me to understand that yeast is a living organism. We often, she says, you can buy it commercially in the store like Fleshman's yeast in a little packet, and you open that up and you use that in your ingredients as you're baking your bread or whatever it is uh, to enjoy. But she said that's one way that you can do it. And uh, she, she said that even... The, the dry packaged version, as you heard Pastor Aaron say, when introduced with the other, with the water and the other ingredients, it starts to be active and grows and causes the baking process to come out like we had hoped. She also says that there are other methods that are unique to different bakers. She said... Some add the yeast straight in, like you would do with commercial yeast. She said, but others build intermediate doughs that can become added to the main dough a little bit later. And this takes time, but her quote is this, good bread never happens quickly. It takes time. And then she said, what all these have in common is that you start out with a small amount and the yeast continues to feed and multiply until there is enough for your purposes. As Kathy said, sourdough bread has uh, yeast has a bacteria that can survive for decades, even centuries. I didn't realize that it could survive that long and did a little bit more research myself. And one source... Uh, it was a kind of an archaeological article said that there is evidence of fermentation up to 7,000 years ago in Iran and some 6,000 years ago in Armenia. So sourdough cultures, these, these things can last for a long, long time. And even if they're dehydrated, once reintroduced to water, and then flour, they start to do their work. There are cultures, there are live cultures of naturally occurring wild yeasts, lactobacteria, and fungi. Literally, millions of lactobacteria live in one little starter. Have any of you ever done one of those friendship breads before? Raise your hand if you have. 
Oh, a lot of you have. And you keep that starter going, and then you give some to your friends, and then they add to it, and then they give some, and so forth. These little bacteria provide the gases that give baked goods their lightness. It feeds on carbs such as flour and sugar, produces gas and alcohol, which the old sourdough miners used to call hooch as byproducts. Some of you heard that terminology before. These microorganisms create the rich flavor and the helpful bacteria that are in our, in, in our insides. Our gastrointestinal systems benefit from these as well. These starters were the living source of bread, which is also called the staff of life. Bread, the staff of life for centuries. The term sourdough just refers to the tangy starter that's often used. Sometimes, especially in the pioneering days, uh, the, the cook, the baker, would secure the starter in a very safe place because if somebody got hold of it, stole it, well, then they wouldn't be able to continue to provide bread for their community as they made their way westward. There's a story about a baker in Los Angeles who made the best pumpernickel in the city. He used to keep his starter locked in a safe at night so that no one would get it. Just as famous bakers have treasured their starters over the centuries, can you imagine what it might have been like for Jesus growing up in his household? And we know that his father was a carpenter and he learned that trade. But I believe that Jesus, the bread of life, must have been able to watch his mother as she kneaded the dough and worked the yeast into the bread that she was baking for her family. And I imagine that must have been in his mind as he told the parable to those who were listening. Remember that Jesus was teaching from a fishing boat in the Sea of Galilee to crowds of people who listened to him tell these parables. And then later he went from there up to the upper room with the disciples and unpacked some more of these parables. But this parable today he would have told to a large crowd just like the one we studied last week, which was the parable of the mustard seed. Large crowds of people very familiar with table bread, ordinary table bread. Jesus' parable of the leaven, leaven is another word for yeast, calls attention to the simple but life-sustaining element that was such a necessary part of everyday existence back then. The leaven, the yeast, the starter that added life to their daily bread, that enabled them to have food on a regular basis. In Jesus' leaven parable, the most remarkable thing is just how a small quantity of yeast mixed well could affect such a large batch of flour. Loaves and loaves of barley bread, as Eugene Peter writes in the message version of the Bible, or in the NIV, up to uh, 60 pounds, some 60 pounds of flour. A little bit of yeast affect the whole batch of dough. What was a dry, inert material, flour, becomes a living, moving population of organisms that can be formed in into an entirely different substance altogether, bread. 
next time I eat bread, no matter what kind, I, I'm going to look at it different. I'm going to try to understand what all goes into making that simple pita pocket that I rip open or that bread that I use for a sandwich. Jesus' parable of the leaven combined with the parable of the mustard seed makes a very simple, powerful point. From small, ordinary beginnings, a tiny seed, an insignificant lump of leaven can generate tremendous transformation. That is why I believe he used these, these parables to teach about the kingdom of God. God coming into the form of a small baby. God coming through this small baby who grew and taught kingdom principles then would see the world change to this small band of Jesus followers that the gospel became contagious and spread like starter who's given to others and others and others and others. The living, breathing bread of life shared with others. The changes that we experience when we become Christians is not simply cosmetic. We don't just try to do better things, but rather it is inward transformation from the inside out. This is what leaven does to the flour. It works through the entire batch. In the same way, the leavened community of faith, a community changed by the complete mixing of a spiritual leavening agent, the Holy Spirit, is no longer a geographic entity. We become a genuine incarnation of the kingdom of heaven. We are not just a church building. And you've heard that said so many times from this pulpit over the years. We are not just a building. We are God's people. But we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, just as a little bit of yeast transforms a whole batch of dough. I wanted to do a little investigation on the word leaven. What does it really mean? In these kingdom parables, one of Jesus' goals was to help his audience know that God had broken into their known world, that God would bring hope to the world through a seemingly small and insignificant group of people. In the parable we studied last week, a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds that was planted became the largest tree in the garden, and it would almost take over. That's what the kingdom does. It's something that we can't stop. Matthew then writes and says, Jesus told still yet another parable, and the Greek word translated still another means another of the same kind. He's making the same kind of point or application. And he's talking about something small and insignificant that has pervasive power. And that's the kingdom of God. That God is active in this tiny movement initiated by Jesus. When we unpack the word translated yeast or leaven, we start to see the power of this little one-verse parable. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour. Just as the farmer had planted the mustard seed that grew a tree, so the woman took yeast 
put it into the flour, and began to see it work all the way through the dough. The Greek word translated yeast or leaven is zumao. Zumao. It's the uh, its root is zume, which literally means to be fervent. Have you ever had a Bible teacher that taught about being fervent in prayer? Many of you have. This is the word, fervent, active, moving, transformative, growing. Be fervent in prayer. So yeast, leaven comes from this word, fervency. It's the root word for our word, enzyme. And if you're into biology, you know that enzymes are proteins that are biological catalysts that accelerate chemical reactions. This this word is where we get enzyme. This word has to do in the Greek with being hot in temperature, boiling with love, zeal for something. When you and I mix yeast with water and flour, it will warm up and it will bubble. The bubbles are the carbon dioxide emerging that give you the little pockets in your freshly baked bread. They emerge from the fermentation process. And you remember that both wine and bread are both the result of fermentation. I think that is significantly important when we look at the Lord's Supper. Jesus, the bread of life, active, a catalyst for change and transformation. So I looked up the word ferment. I was like, hmm, this sounds a little bit similar. What's going on here? And do you know that the word ferment comes from the same root as fervent? Fervent and ferment, the same root. Webster says, It refers to any substance as a yeast whose substance in another body produces a particular effervescence and decomposition called fermentation. And by the way, the word effervescence comes from this same root. You hear the word fervent in effervescence. The fact that ferment and fervent come from the same root has tremendous implication when we think of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Fervency, change, transformation, the incarnational work of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit are at work in each of us as we live and move and have our being. In James 5.16, we hear the words, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, life-changing. Paul wrote, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor Serving the Lord, Romans 12, 11. And Luke wrote of Apollos in Luke 18, 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. Fervency, fermenting, all related to this active work of God's Spirit taught through this simple parable by Jesus. I believe that leaven is to the flower as the Holy Spirit is to the Christian. Leaven is to the flower as the Holy Spirit is to the Christian. The leaven did not miraculously enter the flower. 
Someone had to put it there. The Greek word for leaven is a feminine noun. And the woman in the parable, I believe, can be seen as the spirit of God personified as wisdom. The spirit has to do the work. As the spirit does the work in us, the woman that Jesus teaches about in the parable is actively kneading the dough. She introduced the yeast into the dough and then she mixed it together and uh, 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 allowing the, the chemical reaction to begin. The spirit does the same thing in us. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes over, becomes our guide, the one who convicts us, the one who gives us direction and focus, the one who speaks to us through our consciousness. And, and, and um, when we're making a decision that may not be the best, the Holy Spirit redirects us and helps us to maintain our focus on the ways of Jesus. I love the word mixed in the text. The woman took the yeast and mixed it in with the flour. Another translation says that she hid the yeast in the flour. So you can't see it, but we know it's working. The Greek word translated mixed or hid is engrupto, which means to hide or conceal something. If you know the word encrypt, which if you're into software and computers and all of that, it's the same word. The yeast hidden to the human eye when it comes into contact with the water and the flour and other ingredients, it starts something happening. The implication here is that the work of the spirit often starts out very small, but is laser, later visible and has tremendous results in God's timing. So the question for us today is, is our are our lives leavened? Is our community leavened? Have we opened ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to work in and through us? In chemistry, often things that are mixed together need to have a constant stirring, never changing, in order for the the end result to come out just right. And often scientists have to use very carefully calibrated equipment to keep that constant stirring moving along. Seeking an outside source. We need the unchanging God as our source to help keep us moving in his ways. We can't do it on our own. I believe we call that a sourdough mentality as a church, that we understand the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work as we follow Jesus. So how do we make for a favorable environment that invites the Holy Spirit in and welcomes the activity that follows the Holy Spirit's wake. 
It's one thing to talk about change and transformation, but it's another thing to follow it through. A lot of times we as church folks will say, we want change. We need to change. But then when it comes down to it, either we don't know how or we're afraid. How do we position or posture ourselves to allow for a, us to be a, a sourdough kind of community where we are open to the change that the Holy Spirit brings to us and to live it out? I'd, I'd like to suggest briefly just five Five things that every faith community would consider to be sourdough Christians. Number one, sourdough expands. If you know anything about baking, you know that it expands. You need a larger container so it can rise. Whatever container we choose, make sure it's big enough to hold the results. We want to understand that the kingdom is expansive. It is not to be contained. So as we seek God's vision for the future, we don't want to put the proverbial box and put God in it. We want to be open to the expansive nature of the Holy Spirit, just like the yeast cause the dough to expand and rise. Number two, remember that starters require daily care and feeding. Remember that friendship bread? You have to feed it every day <clears throat> in order for it to be viable and to become the kind of <clears throat> the bread that we desire. Our faith needs daily sweetening. Our faith needs daily freshening. And it would do every community of faith good to recall the manna experience in the Old Testament that daily God provided them the sweet taste of manna and the nourishment. I believe that we can also make a translation that that's the word of God, the the, the word of life, that we daily feed our spirit with God's word that is fresh and new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Whenever we uh, open up God's word, we are always invited to something fresh and new. I believe prayer and Bible reading and other spiritual disciplines are part of the starter that is our act of faith. And then third, starter is contextual. What we do here at Huguenot Road is different than other churches, even right down the road from us. Our community is not the same. So yes, we have things that are in common, but what is it about our community that is unique that goes into our starter, our experiences, our history, our traditions. As we envision God's desire for the future of our church, there are some things that are very important to us that we want to cherish, that part of our spiritual DNA at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. 
At the same time, we pray that God will show us that which is new. So we embrace the old and we seek the new. So starter is contextual. Remember, it's, uh, sourdough expands. It can't be contained. It requires daily feeding and care. It's contextual. And then fourth, it's meant to be given away. That friendship bread that we talked about earlier is meant to be given away so that other people can enjoy it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to be shared. Our faith is contagious. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them. He didn't say to keep it right here. Remember that starter is to be given away. And fifth, the world needs fresh baked bread. The world needs it. To stand on the meeting of the two eternities, past and future, the goal of life, says Henry David Thoreau. I believe that this is part of that ancient future understanding. In order for things to stay the same, they must change. In order for the church to move into a new world, we must hold firmly to the faith we possess, as the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, 14. Unless we are willing to bake some fresh bread for the world in which we live, we can't conserve our past. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. But for Jesus to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, he must be fresh every morning. The world needs fresh baked bread. And Jesus himself, as you heard Pastor Philip Reed said, I am the bread of life. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the world needs Jesus. They need to understand how to wake up and face a difficult day with the hope of Jesus Christ. Some of the things that Pastor Jim was praying about in the pastoral prayer, there are people who wake up and don't have the hope of Christ to make it through the day. And we want to share our faith with them that they would have the hope that we have. Jesus, as you remember, was born in the small town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means in the Hebrew, house of bread. Bethlehem, house of bread. And we, we want people to know the good news of this Jesus. Perhaps, as one writer says, the best definition of a manger is this, a feeding trough large enough to put the bread of life. The world is out there spiritually starving to death, hungry for the bread of life. Will we be a house of bread for all people? I pray that we will. Let us bow together.